We've got some talented people in our church, yes? Uh, how about Cole Reinhardt on the announcement video, right? <laughs> oh man, that is so good. This, oh, what a great, great morning. Um, oh, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Uh, next Sunday, our service times will change, okay? So if you show up at 10, you're going to show up right in the middle of the 930 service, okay? Uh, we have two service times starting next Sunday, 9.30 and 11 a.m. It's going to be a great Sunday. We encourage you to invite everyone you know because it's going to be that great. In the early 1990s, there was no bigger thing in music than Garth Brooks. And I remember when he did a live concert on TV, we recorded it on VHS. I'm sorry, there's some college students here. VHS is a lot like YouTube. <laughs> But it's stored, the video is stored on a black rectangle, okay? I have to explain that to our young people. The music of Garth Brooks will always have a special place in my heart because it was the summer before seventh grade in 1993. My telephone rang at my house. We didn't have cell phones back then. So I picked up that landline and the other voice on the, on the line, other line said, is John there? And I said, this is he. And then she said, listen to this. And so I put the phone closer to my ear and I began to listen. And as I listened, a song by Garth began to play. Uh, the song was called The Dance. You familiar with this song? And it, part of it says this, looking back on the memory of the dance we shared beneath the stars above. And I listened intently. And then at the end of the, I listened to the whole song, like three minutes long. And then I go, who is this? Click. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. I spent the whole summer of 1993 trying to spit in my head, evaluating each lyric. Dear God, please tell me who I danced with beneath the stars above. Who would play this song to me? To this day, it remains a mystery. No idea. I'm ashamed to think that as I was writing this sermon this week, I, st I still tried to think, who could it have been? That prayer went unanswered. <laughs> and that memorable phone call back in 1993, since that point, I've had many unanswered prayers, right? And my guess is you have too. This morning, I want to get vulnerable with you guys a bit, and just share some of the unanswered prayers in my life. Um, and in hindsight, maybe we'll be able to see the goodness of God in not answering those prayers. Um, and we'll also point to a greater hope in the midst of God's silence. My freshman year of high school, I was five foot three, okay, 112 pounds. These aren't jokes. This, is, this was my life, okay? I was a wee little man, and I weighed 112 pounds. I got made fun of quite a bit on the football field because I was so small, but I told them. I said, you guys watch. My senior year, I'm going to be six foot, 200 pounds. I'm going to be the starting running back at my high school. And uh, I was sure that God was going to help me do this. And I was sure that, I was so sure that I prayed that whenever I scored a touchdown, I would be able to drop on both knees, point to the Lord. And when the Fresno Bee or Fox 26 interviews me, how did you do it? I'm going to say, I'm going to give all the glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? I put John 3.16 on my Letterman jacket. 
uh, as a way of saying, I love God. And so I was going to do that my senior year of football. Uh, my junior year, uh, I was the backup running back to the, to the senior. And so I'm getting excited. I'm excited. I'm going to have a great senior year. Then I'm going to have a great college football career. And then who knows? Who knows? Maybe I'll be playing football um, in Kansas City someday and start a brilliant football career with the Chiefs. So summer before senior year, I'm hanging out with some friends, and we're staying up late, and I sit on the hood of my buddy's car, okay? And I want to say from the get-go, if you're young, or even if you're old, don't do this. Sitting on the hood of my buddy's car, he starts to go a little bit. And I'm like, oh, 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 you know. And then he starts to go a lot a bit. Uh, he was going 55 miles an hour. And I was fine until he started to break. As he started to break, I start losing my grip. And then I don't know how fast he gets, how slow he, he you know, slows down. But I try, I got to make a run for it. So I try and put my foot down in front and run. And as soon as my foot went down, smack on the pavement. And then somehow he turns. I roll up a driveway and dent a garage door with my head. And then my buddy, he was, my buddy driving, he was like a lifeguard. So he goes up to me, grabs my neck and goes, are you okay? Are you okay? I go, I'm fine. Let's get in the car. Let's go to Burger King. We were going to Burger King. And I go, I'm fine. I'm fine. And, uh, and so turns out I break a tiny little bone in my wrist called the navicular bone. And my senior season is shot. I remember crying in my pastor's office. Crying is not the way to... Weeping in my pastor's office. Why would God do this? I was going to give all the glory to him. I prayed for a miracle healing. And all I got was a cast on my left arm. My college football dream was shot. My professional football dream was shot. <laughs> Six months later, at the end of my senior year of high school, an opportunity arose for me to spend six months um, serving in Malawi, Africa. And since that trip in January of 2000, I've led teams back 11 times, over 150 people to serve there. And just three months ago, this church sent $5,000 for an elementary school to be built in the exact village I lived at so that kids don't got to walk 16 kilometers to go to school. None of that would have happened. That broken wrist. Without that broken wrist. I'm so glad that God did not answer my prayers for healing, my prayers for a career on the gridiron. This is a picture of um, me and a boy named Delise who lives in Chihuahua Village in Malawi, Africa. And that is taken over a span of 10 years. And the most recent one on the bottom over here, he's 17 years old. And uh, it's an amazing thing to see this kid who I met in 2000. And I saw um, back in 2016 was the last time I saw him. And we built a school in his village so that his brothers and sisters and his future children don't have to walk 16 kilometers either way to go to school. And our church helped do that. Um, none of that would have been possible if I wouldn't have broken my wrist. Um, my twin brother, uh, he, he and I played the same sports growing up. And then in eighth grade, we were swimming at our friend Greg Hines' swimming pool, and we were playing um, uh, three flies up in the pool, and I threw a ball, and he went to go grab it like this, and Greg Hines was very lengthy. And he kind of went like this on my brother's finger and broke his, my brother's finger. 
And uh, then he had a cast on his hand, and he couldn't play baseball. And so he decides, I'm going to go to, I'm going to swim instead. Turns out my brother had a knack for swimming and ended up getting a scholarship at the University of Pacific in Stockton, and now is the head swim coach at the University of Pacific in Stockton. And his whole career changed, uh, had, started dating his wife at that school, and now has four kids, lives up there, and um, is one of the best coaches in NC2A for swimming. All because he broke his pinky because of Greg Hine in 1994. <laughs> Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. But let's be honest for a moment. For every one of those times where we look back at our life and see and begin to understand why God didn't answer that specific prayer, there's also a handful of moments where we go, that doesn't make any sense. No good came out of that. That was just suffering. Um, we don't understand why God. There's, it, there's no rhyme or reason to it. We still don't know if any good ever came out of that one thing that happened. And that's happened in my life as well. Here's one moment that happened just months before I went to Africa for the first time. This is a photo of a 1988 Chevrolet Beretta. It was our family car in 1989 when we moved from Illinois to California. And it was a stick shift. My dad, whenever my dad drove it, I thought it was so cool. Sticks, that's cool, I guess. It's not, but I thought it was. And we drove that car all the way across country. Um, seven years later, my brother and I turned 16. We got our driver's license, and I loved driving the Beretta. And uh, at this point, I'm a freshman year, freshman year of college, January 29, 2001. I was uh, picking up Hungry Howie's Pizza um, for a Bible study that I was leading. And I was turning onto Sunnyside Avenue in Clovis. And a truck was kind of blocking my way of seeing oncoming traffic. So I decided to kind of pull out onto the street. And I, t I, I, I hit the back end of a minivan. And then that minivan proceeded to overcorrect and rolled on its side 65, 65 feet. And I was like, oh no. My immediate thought was, the Beretta. And then, <laughs> then I, I, I run over there and I, I could hear like a, a child like, you know, saying, mom, mom. So I decide to go and I help this child out. And it was a sweet boy, a blonde boy. And it's like, we made eye contact, I made a connection there, you know? Um, I called him Tiny Tim. He reminded me of Tiny Tim from the, 12, or the, the story of Christmas. And so I pull out Tiny Tim, and then I hear another person crying. And so then I, I see another kid, and I pull out that kid. And I'm like, how many more are in there? And then six, six kids were in there. With each one, I'm feeling the conviction and the shame. Everyone's fine, by the way. But uh, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, this is terrible. Uh, the police came, took our statements. I walked back home, and uh, the 1988 Chevy Beretta that uh, made it across country uh, couldn't make it across Sunnyside Avenue, and um, I had to go tell my dad uh, that I wrecked his car that had six kids in it, and they slid 60 feet, and, oh, it was my dad's birthday. <laughs> so it was like, Feliz Cumpleaños, Padre. Uh, and it was terrible. It was terrible. Five years goes by. I get served by an attorney. The family was suing me or my insurance company or something like that. So I had to wear a suit. And I'm in this like briefing room with this attorney that I've never met. And I kind of start laughing. And, he, and I go, I'm sorry, dude. This is just like so funny. Like this is like law and order. And I go, is it okay if I laugh? And he goes, no, this is a serious matter. Do not laugh. 
And so then he gets me in the boardroom, and then the family walks in, and I'm like, Tiny Tim, you've gotten so big, you know? And I was kind of happy to see him. And then the attorney's, you know, legging me and hitting my leg underneath the table. And uh, from that one wrong turn I made, I ruined my dad's birthday. Thousands of dollars were lost, as was the bumper to my dad's car, and the lives of families and children were affected. What was the purpose of that? What was the purpose? God, what, what good did you bring about from that situation when I was in college? I don't know. I've asked. And there are these moments in life where we are still trying to make sense of what has taken place, but it's all just devastation and chaos. God, why did that happen? Sometimes we'll never know. Look at this passage in Luke 1. It says this. It'll be on the screens. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments and regulations. Okay, so these are good people. These do, they do all the right things. They say the right things. They have the great hearts. They had no children because Elizabeth was una unable to conceive, and they were both very old. Now, this is a really big deal in the Jewish culture. The absence of children was seen as a reproach, evidence that God was shunning you. It was, it was punishment of God. God's judgment. The Jewish rabbis at the time said that there are seven types of people that are excommunicated from God. And the list began with a Jew who has no wife or a Jew who has a wife and who has no child. In fact, childlessness was valid grounds for divorce in the first century. It was a big deal. And so this was a, a massive uh, uh, aching situation for Zechariah and Elizabeth. It was an issue of shame. The Bible makes clear that they were righteous people who loved the Lord, who did the right things. And here they are, shunned. People think oh, it must be some sin that they're doing that has allowed them to not have a child. They had prayed and done what is right, and God seemed silent. Was it too late for them? Ever feel like it's too late? Too late to have children? Too late to get married? Too late to pursue your dreams? It's never too late. The name Zechariah means God remembers. It's like, is this some kind of a cosmic joke? If I'm Zechariah, God remembers. I have been praying since I met Elizabeth for children, and she's barren. We can't have kids. What's your deal, God? God remembers? No, you don't. When you're doing all that God has asked you to do, and he still doesn't respond to your prayers, that's hard, unbelievably hard, but yet they press on. When life hits us with disappointments, we have two options, and this will be on the screens. We can become bitter or we can become better. And there's been times in my own life where I'm praying for this one thing. It's on the forefront of my mind. I'm doing everything I can. I'm doing all the right things. I pray it again and again and again, and God seems so silent. And it makes me so mad. And there have been times when I've been mad at God. You're a pastor. I know. I have been fired up about him. There are times when I'm down here crying and he's up there twiddling his thumbs, it seems like. Zechariah means God remembers. But there are times in all of our lives where it seems abundantly clear that God seems to forget too. And here we see that Zechariah and Elizabeth have the uncanny reputation of following God and having great character even when they may experience the forgetfulness of God. And God does eventually answer the prayers of Zechariah, and he's still in the business of answering our prayers today. So we've got to have hope in our situations where God seems to be silent. Matthew 7, 11 says this, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We all want to give the best to our kids, right? I want the best for my kids. I want them to have the best education. I want them to have the best friends. And eventually, I want them to have the best spouse. My daughter, Ivy, is one, okay? She's not dating right now. Um, (laughs) But I already know what I'm going to say to the first guy who tries to take her out. I already know. He's going to knock on the door. I will answer. Um, And... And then I will invite him in to sit in my study. I don't have a study, but I will, just for this. And in that study, there'll just be a light on, two stools. I will sit down, he will sit down, and I say, I will not tell you, I I have not told you to sit down, you stand up. He will stand, walk back and forth nervously, and I will tell him something like this. If you touch my daughter, no, no. If you think about my daughter, I will grab you by the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ, and I will beat you beyond recognition. You will go home, and your parents will go, what happened, son? I can't even, I don't even know if that's full of you. You're beaten beyond recognition. And he will say, I thought of Mr. Richardson's daughter. Something like that. I don't know. Give or take a few words. That's what I'm going to do. Jesus says that we long and love to give good gifts to our children. How much more does God long to love and give good gifts to us? He wants to give you good gifts. God is protective over us. That's why he says no sometimes. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. This is so true. It's true in the story of Sarah and I. I grew up in a church culture where God was in the business of God seemed to be in the business of telling guys who their wife was going to be long before they'd even really even started dating or expressed interest. Anybody ever grow up in a culture like this where someone would go, God told me, that's my wife over there. Now, I think God can do this, okay? But in my experience, from what I saw, it was those guys wanted God to be that person to be that person's wife, right? It, It wasn't God, it was them. And they often didn't work out. And so I grew up in this experience, um, and Sarah and I started dating in college, and I am feeling it, okay? Uh, I wanted her to be the one so bad. And as we grew in our relationship, I kept praying and waiting for a supernatural sign. All the great love stories that I had heard in this student ministries growing up had this supernatural, God showed me in a dream, we touched hands and fireworks went off, and God said, she's the one. Um, All these different supernatural ways of God confirming that that person is the one. I wanted that. Why aren't you revealing it to me, God? And all throughout these prayers, I'm very much in love with Sarah, but I wanted confirmation. I prayed so much. Answer me, God. Is she the one? I just want to know. Silence from heaven. But eventually, with no supernatural intervention, my heart became settled and allowed me to choose Sarah. And every day I choose her. I don't love her because God told me I was supposed to. I love her and I choose her till death do us part. I wake up every day and I choose to love her and we choose each other and I'm a better man because of her. Romans 8.28 says this, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. 
we, and we talked last, we talked last week about the storms of life and when the storms and waves compound us, this verse is often given to help us. And it is helpful. Sometimes. It also kind of makes God out to like this puppet master, right? That uh, something terrible happens and we say, it's okay, God works for the good of those who love him. God's just going to do something good through it. And it's like, I want to punch people sometimes when they say that to me, right? Because if something terrible happens, something tragic happens, I'm not putting the blame on God. God's not in the business of doing that. Here's another way to translate this verse from the Greek to English. And to me, it's more helpful. It says this, same, same passage of scripture, different phrasing. And we know that God is working for good in all situations, together with those who love God, with those who are called according to his purposes. Taken this way, believers are not promised that everything works out for us. Instead, they're challenged to be God's co-workers in bringing about good purposes amidst all the suffering that happens in our world. I, I, uh, I grew up um, Catholic. Peace be with you. And also with you. Uh, and a great, great appreciation for that tradition um, in the church. And in junior high, though, my parents stopped making us go to, uh, to Mass. And uh, I made bad decisions in junior high. Uh, and I was in a dating relationship, as much as you can be in junior high, with a girl named Lynn Ria. And uh, uh, Lynn had a lot of family issues and stuff as well. But um, I remember breaking up with Lynn in eighth grade in March. And that Friday, I got a call that said that Lynn took her life. And I'll never forget that walk home from my friend Jeff Swisher's house, yelling at God, cussing at God. How could a good, loving God allow something like this to happen? I found somehow in the middle of all that time, that crazy time as this um, 15 years old, um, trying to figure out God in the midst of it. I remember a buddy invited me to a youth group, and I went. And then the pastor stood on the stage, and he talked about Jesus. He talked about having a personal relationship with him, and that Jesus doesn't just change your life for eternity. He changes your life now. And I remember raising my hand, and that was, the, that was the youth ministry where I met Jesus. That's where I developed a passion for him and his word. Um, several years later, my senior year of high school, I'm getting ready to go to Malawi, Africa, and I'm in a worship service, and I'm praying, and Lynn's face just kept coming to my mind. And I'm like, that's weird. And so then I didn't know the song, that's why I was praying. And, and then I just kind of passed it off and started praying again, and her face just came to my mind again. And finally, I, I knocked my Bible off my lap, and I said, God, what do you want me to do about it? She's dead. That was five years ago. And I felt God say, find where her mom is, and go tell her that somehow, someway, God used that difficult time and brought you to know him. And now you're going to Africa to share the love of God there. And I was like, no way, God, I'm not going to do this. Uh, that's crazy. And the next Tuesday, three days later, I'm knocking on uh, her mom's door. And I go, hey, I don't know if you remember me. Um, I was friends with your daughter, Lynn. And she says, I carried a picture of you and my daughter in my wallet for four years. Um, from a dance. And then uh, I told her, I said, listen, uh, somehow, some way, 
I found God in the midst of all that pain. And what the enemy means for evil, God means for good. And God can do good things in the midst of it. And I got to tell her about how I'm going to Africa. Um, and, I, and it was this amazing moment of reconciliation. She said, I thought that you hated me because I didn't go to the funeral. It was too hard for her to go to the funeral. She couldn't. Her 13-year-old daughter is gone. And it was this amazing, amazing moment. I want to read that verse again. And we know that God is working for good in all situations, together with those who love God, with those who are called according to his purposes. Was it God's will or God's desire for Lynn to take her life? No, that wasn't God. A 14-year-old girl taking her life is always terrible. It's always tragic. It's always heart-wrenching. God mourns alongside of us. But in the midst of that, God is still active, moving us towards goodness and love. I'm going to invite Noe and the worship band to come up. I'll close with this. There, I think there are three options but by God not answering our prayers. I think God could be saying three things. Number one, no. He's saying, no, I'm closing the door. I'm protective over you. That's not what's best for you. So I know you're praying for it, but no, it's not best. Just like a father and mother watching out for their children, God is saying no. The second thing is slow. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. And if Sarah and I would have started dating when I first met her, um, we wouldn't have made it because I was young and dumb. Um, And so it took me four years to convince her to like me back. Um, And that was God's mercy. (laughs) Three, grow. He says no, he says slow, he says grow. We want God to do a removing project, right? God, get me out of this situation. God, fix this problem. God, take away this problem. And God wants to do an improving project. We want God to remove. He wants to improve us. Know, slow, grow, and then I don't know. I don't know. It's not God saying I don't know. It's us. We don't get it. This side of the grave, we may not understand all the stuff that happens in our lives. Um, But God is trying to redirect us. God, I pray in Jesus' name that with all the unanswered prayers in our lives, that you'd meet us, that you'd give us hope. God, I pray that for those in this place who are struggling through your silence, I pray that you would reveal to them that you're still good in the midst of it. For those who are going through these sufferings where the rain is pouring and they can't breathe and they've prayed and nothing seems to happen, I pray, God, that they would be able to not get bitter, but they would get better. Help us in this, Jesus. We need you. You're great, even in the midst of our storms, even in the midst of your seeming silence. Help us to be a part of bringing comfort to those who are suffering. We ask these things 
In the powerful, mighty name above all names, Jesus, amen. Would you stand as we declare the greatness of our God? Restore. 